You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on a book called The Age of Responsibility, CSR 2.0 and the New DNA of Business. Part 2. Chapter 2. The Age of Greed. Gordon Gecko, the character in the Hollywood blockbuster Wall Street, said, The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right, greed works. Greed clarifies, cuts through, and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all its forms, greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. Case 1. Larry MacDonald and Lehman Brothers This vignette is a true story, preceded and adapted from Larry MacDonald's book A Colossal Failure of Common Sense, the incredible inside story of the collapse of Lehman Brothers. Larry MacDonald was a child of the greed is good 80s, but unlike me, he actually lived the dream and is still haunted by the nightmare that ensued. Looking back, there are several obvious pieces to the puzzle, factors that explain McDonald's unrelenting drive to become a high-stakes player on Wall Street. His father was obsessed with business, and plastics made him a stack of money, enough to start his own brokerage firm. That obsession took its toll on family life, and McDonald soon found himself in a broken home, living with his mother and four siblings on a housing estate, at the wrong end of what he called the urban version of Death Valley. Despite this, or more likely because of it, MacDonald set his sights on escaping the mire of poverty. He now knew where he did not want to be. And thanks to his father's high-flying business career, he knew where he wanted to get to. By the time I graduated from college in 1989, MacDonald recalled, I had learned enough about Wall Street to understand that that was the place I wanted to be right out there in New York with the big dogs, playing in the major leagues of finance. The trouble was, my chances of getting in were zilch. Wall Street became MacDonald's personal holy grail. He was smart enough to realize that he was still light years away, but he set himself a secret five-year target to make it there. First, he tried to get into one of the brokerage houses in New England, Hundreds of rejection letters later, he changed his strategy. He be- Midway through his second year, he was one of the top salesmen in the entire American frozen foods northeast region. He began lying his way past office security guards and executive personal assistants, dressing up as a pizza delivery man, trying just about anything to get an audience with one of the branch managers. One day, McDonald's Schutzbar, if that's what you would call it, paid off. But it wasn't the break he'd hoped for. Kid, the manager told him, I don't care what you sell for your first experience, but for Christ's sake, get out there and sell them something. Something rather than wasting my time. That was the clue, the key to breaking into the fortress of high finance. McDonald sprung into action and got a sales job, selling pork around the Cape and southeastern Massachusetts. McDonald, And when he passed his exam, he would work for them, joining their fat, 
chain-smoking salesmen that would say anything to their victims. MacDonald made the Faustian bargain and passed the exam, but managed to get a job with Merrill Lynch in Philadelphia instead, thereby avoiding the bucket shop, which he regarded distastefully as, and I quote, the totally unacceptable face of capitalism. MacDonald worked hard, began specialising in convertible bonds, made good money and plotted his next move. While he was still scheming, he ran into an acquaintance in a bar who worked for IBM and was about to start up one of the Cape's first internet service providers. He convinced MacDonald that pretty soon the dot-com boom would revolutionise everything. Financial trading would go online. Sensing a blockbuster opportunity, MacDonald hatched a plot with an old friend to start up ConvertBond.com, which they launched in 1997. Pretty soon, the Wall Street Journal and CNBC Television were featuring stories about them, and the business took off. Despite running a seat-of-the-pants operation out of a small office above a strip mall, with 250,000 hits a day, their opinions on newly issued bonds started to hold considerable sway in the market. MacDonald had caught the wave of the future and it hadn't gone unnoticed by the big boys. In the autumn of 1999, Morgan Stanley made an offer to take over ConvertBond.com. Suddenly, MacDonald's was a 33-year-old millionaire and worked in Morgan Stanley's Stamford office, another step closer to Wall Street. The dot-com bubble burst soon afterwards, so MacDonald had got out just in time, and more drama was to come. In 2001, MacDonald's was in the thick of convertible bonds action as first Pacific Gas and Electric filed for bankruptcy, then 9-11 happened, and finally the Enron debacle broke. He watched, mesmerized, as Enron, saddled with $65 billion in unpayable debt, spiraled to their death at the hands of the financial markets, with their share price plummeting from just $90 to a few cents within a few months. In the months that followed, a spate of bankruptcies rocked the world, all of companies that issued convertible bonds, Global Crossing, Quest, NTL, Adelphia Communications and WorldCom. McDonald had a front row seat of the whole financial operatic tragedy. Alan Greenspan's response was to cut interest rates from 6% in December 2000 to 1% by July 2003. Thus began one of the greatest consumer borrowing bonanzas since the 1920s, reflected McDonald. This was the starting point of America living in a false economy because all of this free money was in defiance of the natural laws of the universe. His father agreed. Here we go again, he warned, straight back to the edge of the cliff. But one person's poison is another person's potion. Wall Street had just invented securitization, turning mortgage debts into tangible, tradable entities. What a pure stroke of genius, said MacDonald. Hardly anyone noticed the minor flaws that would, in time, bankrupt half the world. As 2004 arrived, the flame of McDonald's ambitions burned strong as ever. I still wanted a seat at Wall Street's top table, right up there in the major leagues. 
Fortunately, he knew someone who worked for Lehman's, that pinnacle of his ambition that had survived and thrived for over 150 years. The friend encouraged MacDonald to apply for a position, and after a series of gruelling interviews, he stepped into the lion's den. Admittedly, it had taken 16 years rather than the five he had hoped for, but here he was, into the hierarchy alongside some of Wall Street's smartest guys. For the next few years, MacDonald's dream became an intoxicating, head-spinning reality. He would wake at 4am and be at his desk before 6, working in a chilled, oxygen-fed trading office, taking no lunch and leaving more than 12 hours later. It was tiring, but he found it exhilarating. We were in the presence of gods, the new masters of the universe, a breed of financial daredevils who conjured Lehman's billion-dollar profits out of one of the most complex markets ever to show its head above the Wall Street's ramparts. This was the age of the derivative, the Wall Street neutron that provided atomic power to one of the most reckless housing booms in all of history, he reflected. MacDonald had his doubts about the subprime bonanza, but he knew his limits. I didn't dare to mention even a semblance of doubt, not to anyone, he said. That would have been tantamount to high treason, as if the President of the United States had invited Osama bin Laden to Camp David for the weekend. Besides, McDonald's was benefiting big time. Wall Street bonuses were 250% bigger than the average salary for all non-financial jobs in the city. And since 2003, thanks to derivatives, their total compensation had increased nearly 50%. That was, in retrospect, on the high side, recalled McDonald's, but that's what it was all about. Record leverage, record bonuses. It later turned out that McDonald was not alone in his suspicions about the market's greed-fueled behaviour. On 6th of June 2006, all the staff in his unit in Lehman's were called into a meeting and addressed by one of the newly promoted managing directors. He said the US real estate market was, and I quote, pumped up like an athlete on steroids, rippling with a set of muscles that did not naturally belong there. It was based on money that was not real money, home prices that were not real prices, and mortgages that were not grounded in any definition of reality. The presentation went down like a lead balloon among the traders. One retorted, Have you missed the fact that this bull market is exploding? The prevailing opinion of eternal sunshine was hardly surprising. True, U.S. consumer and corporate debt was stacking up, $1 trillion in 2000 and $2.7 trillion by 2005. But Wall Street was still making shiploads of money and everyone was bullish. Even Time magazine declared that, and I quote, the world economy is on track to enjoy another bumper year in 2006, as this twin American-Chinese engine continues to power ahead. The outlook is basically for another Goldilocks kind of year, agreed Lara D. Tyson, then Dean of London Business School. But some, including McDonald's and a few bears at Lehman's, had spotted the cracks in the shining edifice of global financial markets. Despite these early warning signals, the tide and optimism of greed continued to sweep through Lehman's, America and the world, and MacDonald was riding high, making more than a tidy golden nest egg in the process. 
By the time the springtide had turned into an incontestable financial tsunami, it was too late. Too late for Lehman's and too late for MacDonald. When 158-year-old Lehman Brothers filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy on 15 September 2008, owing $660 billion, it took a good portion of Wall Street, Main Street and the world economy down with it. McDonald's still lives just a few city blocks from the old Lehman Brothers headquarters at 745 7th Avenue. Each time he walks past, he is overcome with mixed emotions, mainly nostalgia, edged by a lingering anger and still plagued by unanswerable questions. I stand and stare upward, sorrowful beyond reason, McDonald confesses and trapped by the twin words of those possessed of flawless hindsight, if only.